Good evening. Thank you for tuning in this evening. You know, sadly, self-destruction is a common occurrence in our world. A pattern takes place. A person starts out with great promise. He or she begins to meet goals and enjoy public acclaim. Though he or she should still be striving to reach greater heights, they begin to coast. The individual takes success for granted. As a result, personal problems arise. Wealth and fame are not enough. A talented life is wrecked and wasted. People self-destruct all the time around us. And this is nothing new. It has been going on since the beginning of time. The Bible is replete with stories of backsliders and those who fell away. The list is rather lengthy. People such as Saul, Solomon, Amon, Rehoboam, Asa, Amaziah, Jonah, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Demas, David, and the list goes on and on. People who turned their backs on God or abandoned God at some point in their lives. Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. I realize that most people who have turned their backs on God probably wouldn't be watching this broadcast, but perhaps you are discouraged. Maybe you feel as though God has abandoned you. Perhaps you have not gone so far as to divorce yourself from God, but maybe you're living separated from Him. If so, let this lesson serve as an encouragement to strengthen the covenant, not break it. Countless Christians have entered into a covenant relationship with God only to divorce Him as the years go by. Why? What are the grounds for spiritual divorce? Although it certainly is not as common these days as it was in the first century, some turn away from God because of persecution. Jesus spoke of those who endure for a while, but when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, straightway he stumbles. Many today will never know the fiery trials of persecution, but sadly, they fall away as a result of far lighter oppression. Some find the sacrifice too great. Others don't want to subject themselves to ridicule among their family and friends. The narrow way is just too narrow and too constricting for some. Others abandon God in the church because of disappointment. In the wake of terrible tragedy, they choose to blame God or believe that He no longer cares for them. When dire circumstances invade their lives, they walk away from their Creator rather than turning to Him. You know, one of the great lessons from the book of Job is that God does not shield us, even the best of us, from life's tragedies. And so we learn to trust our Maker no matter what happens to us. And then there are those who simply stray from fidelity. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this evening because I believe this is the most common reason for divorce spiritually. Perhaps life's distractions choke out a person's passion for serving Christ. Maybe they allow other, less important things to take priority. Perhaps they invest way too much in the world and leave little room for the spiritual. Whatever the reason, one of the most common grounds for spiritual divorce is an allure of the world. And there's a, an obscure character in Scripture by the name of Demas who is a prime example of this. In 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10, Paul writes, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The word for love in this passage is agape, and scholars have associated this term with an action that tends to choose its subject deliberately. It's a calculated disposition. There have been countless Demases throughout these centuries. Christians who have abandoned their faith and opted out of service for the passing pleasures of the world. Whether we're talking about an earthly relationship or a spiritual one, divorce cannot occur without selfishness. 
Selfishness is behind every dissolution of marriage. It may be only one party, it may be both, but selfishness is at the heart of divorce. The same is absolutely true in a spiritual marriage. When an individual decides to leave the church and turn their back on God, they have made a selfish decision. They have chosen to eliminate God from the equation, and some don't see it that way. Some still believe that they are clinging to God. They haven't given up their faith completely. They, they may still even claim to love God, but by their actions, they made a choice. They have chosen to satisfy self first, and no amount of lip service or justification can gloss over that infidelity. When we sever the relationship, it's like a spiritual divorce. In fact, many times throughout the Old Testament, God referred to the Israelites turning away as a turning to idols and spiritual adultery. When we willfully and consistently choose sin over God, we have divorced Him in our hearts. To live life without God, to be separated from Him, is to exist without a close, intimate relationship with Him, and that is no life at all. Let's look at an example of someone in the Bible who became discouraged and lost faith in the Lord. And the example is the man after God's own heart, David. Most of us probably don't think of, of David as a backslider, yet during one 16-month period of his life, David actually became so downtrodden that he abandoned the Lord and his people. You can look with me in your Bibles at 1 Samuel chapter 27. Verse 1 reads, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me any more in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand." Now at this point, David was a very weary man. The pursuit of Saul had not helped. Several things contributed to David's discouragement. His efforts to seek relief had failed. When you've done all you know to do and things don't get better, in fact they get worse, it's easy to become discouraged. It also seemed like God had forgotten the promise that he had made through Samuel long ago to David. God had promised David the throne, but that didn't happen. Instead, David had lost nearly everything that he held dear. And now Samuel was dead, and we've all been weary. Maybe you've reached the point where you felt like you couldn't go on. Perhaps you felt that God had abandoned you. If so, you can probably relate to David here. Keep reading in 1 Samuel 27, verse 2, it says, So David arose and crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. David finally gave in. He was weary of the opposition, and so he would go to the place where Saul wouldn't pursue him. The one place where Saul wouldn't pursue him, the enemy camp. Keep reading, verse 3, And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. You'll notice that the opposition stopped when David crossed over. Saul gave up the search. At last, David had peace, right? For a moment, anyway. David illustrates for us what happens in the beginning stages of falling away. A person finally gives up and gives in. They cross over and they abandon hope in the Lord. This can bring an initial relief. It's kind of like when you've been swimming upstream against the current and suddenly you let go and just go with the flow. That's a whole lot easier. But remember this, Satan doesn't fight for what he already has. Relief is only momentary. 
The person who lets go and goes with the flow will be at the mercy of that flow, and eventually he'll be crushed by the rapids. And by the way, we mentioned the collateral damage caused by divorce this morning in our lesson. Did you notice in, in what we just read, the collateral damage? What effect did David crossing over to the enemy have on his men? They went with him. They followed. The direction of your life will have a profound effect on others. Let's keep reading verse 5 and following. Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day, before Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of days that, that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive, and he took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, Where have you made a raid today? And David said, Against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jeremiahites and against the Negev of the Kenites. David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, Otherwise they will tell about us, saying, So has David done and has been his practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has surely made himself odious among his people Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. David adapted to life without the Lord. Remember that David was a Jew, and because of this, he would be suspect in the enemy camp. So in order to fit in with the Philistines, he would have to make some changes. He would have to prove his loyalty. This would cause David to stoop to one of the lowest points in his life, maybe even lower than his sin with Bathsheba. He began to live a life of deceit and violence. The real reason David gave for locating in the, in the country and, and moving away from the capital was to avoid detection. He and his men began living in Ziklag. They spent 16 months in the enemy camp raiding the Geshurites, the Gerzites, the Amalekites. It was nothing out of the ordinary. All of the ites were enemies of Israel anyway. However, David had resorted to butchery and violence that was like nothing that we have seen in his character up to this point. He killed everyone in each village. Why? David claimed that he was raiding his own people. That wasn't what he was actually doing, but he had made he but he had to make Achish believe so that he could stay in the good graces with the Philistines. Years later, these massacres would come back to haunt David as he was forbidden to build God's temple. Achish recognized David's talent for leadership and wanted to exploit it. David would learn that when you're in the enemy's camp, you must do as the enemy does. Soon he would be faced with the prospect of fighting God's own people. Look at the next chapter, 1 Samuel 28, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Is David actually planning to go out and fight God's people? Sure seems like it. I find nothing to indicate otherwise. 
But you go over to 1 Samuel chapter 29 and verse 1 and following, and it reads, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or rather these years? And I have found no fault in him from the day he deserted me to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the man go back, that he may return to his place where you have assigned him, and do not let him go down to battle with us, or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sing in the sing in the dances saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright, and your going out and your coming in with me and the army are pleasing in my sight, for I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Now therefore return and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Although Achish trusted that David's defection was genuine, the Philistine commanders did not. They demanded that David be sent back to Ziklag. Achish reluctantly consented and ordered David and his men to return to Philistia. And I don't know about you, but I find David's response surprising. Is David objecting to being sent back? Certainly appears so. At this point, David was ready to do something he had never dreamed of doing, going to war against God's people. But you know, a person in apostasy will find himself doing a lot of things he never dreamed of doing. The human heart can be easily twisted and corrupted. Satan had a hold of David, and he was taking him down a notch at a time. The bottom was now in full view. David was about to reap the results of a life without God. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Talk about hitting rock bottom. All of a sudden, the effects of living with the enemy came crashing down on David. The momentary relief David felt was short-lived. Now he is rejected by the Philistine lords. He loses his wife, his home, his family. Even David's men turn against him. Get back, it gets back to him that some are, are speaking of stoning him, in fact. You know, we must learn a few things from David here. We must learn that, that life without God is not easier. Satan presents it as such, but he is a liar and a deceiver. He promises the best but pays with the worst. You will never find lasting relief in the enemy's camp. 
Remember the image of David crying his eyes out as he gazed upon the smoldering ruins of Ziklag. We must also learn that divorce doesn't have to be final. You look with me at verses 6 and 7 of 1 Samuel 30. It says, Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. It's about time, right? David finally turns back to God. We call this turning back repentance. And it is a step that stands between each and every person who has abandoned God but wants to renew their vows. Let's take that sentence, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And let, let's track it on to the end of verse 1 in chapter 27. It says, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me any more in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. Now let's add the words, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. If only David would have had that same resolve at the first sign of discouragement, right? Right in the very beginning, he could have avoided all the heartache. He could have avoided, he could have avoided so much of the collateral damage that befell him. By tapping into the strength that comes from a deep, intimate, meaningful, and fulfilling relationship with the Lord, from the very beginning, David would have been much better off. But that's how it happens so often. We don't think about the consequences in the beginning. We just think about the momentary satisfaction or maybe the temporary solution. And then when our world falls apart around us, we realize, oh yeah, I've been leaving God out of the equation. You've tried doing it your way. Try doing it God's way. Are you discouraged this evening? Are you weary? Do you feel like you're swimming upstream? Are you in desperate need of strengthening? If so, understand that God has not abandoned you. And abandoning God is certainly not the solution. We want to help you. Maybe you've been residing in Ziklag. Maybe you've been living in the enemy's camp. Perhaps you have found momentary relief. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've bought into Satan's lie and deception. Come back. Turn away from the enemy camp. Repent, renew your vows, and end the heartache today. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for who you are, for what you have done for us. God, if there's anyone out there who is who has turned away from God, who be, feels like a, a life without God is better, put them in our path. May we have an opportunity to reach them and to help them to come back. God, we pray for all of those who are lost and without a Savior. And may we, may we be truth-tellers with tears. May we be people seeking to be your hands and feet in this world and your primary method to bring people to Christ. God, we thank you for salvation, for the Savior. We thank you for the church. God, we are so blessed and we are so thankful. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I love you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.